Welcome to session 30 of the Bible in a Year commentary. If you started this series on the 1st of January, then today should be the 30th of January. Today we'll be looking at Leviticus 1-4 to and Psalm 30. But before we do, let's get a bit of an overview on Leviticus. Leviticus, like the two books before it, is traditionally attributed to Moses and is part of the Torah, which also includes Numbers and Deuteronomy. While the Mosaic authorship is a long-standing tradition, Modern scholarship suggests that the book is likely a compilation of oral traditions and historic events and law. These were possibly edited and compiled over centuries, with some scholars suggesting that the final form may have been completed as late as the 5th century BC. Here's a summary of the structure, but I would recommend checking out the written version of the commentary in the description to see the structure properly for yourself. This is particularly true today as we'll be looking at multiple different structures. So we start with chapters 1 to 7 as ritual sacrifice, chapters 8 to 10 are the priests ordained, chapters 11 to 15 are ritual purity, and chapters 16 to 17 are the Day of Atonement. Chapters 18 to 20 is moral purity, chapters 21 to 22 is the qualification of the priest, chapters 23 to 25 are ritual feasts, and chapters 26 to 27 call to covenant faithfulness. To understand the book of Leviticus, we need to understand the word holy. It means something like to share in God's nature, so that you can be suitable for God's presence. Think of it like water and oil, the two are so different they can't mix. In the same way, the less like God we are in our nature, the more difficult it is to be in his presence. This is the issue that the Israelites face. In Exodus, we read how the people rejected God and worshipped a golden idol, polluting and corrupting themselves. While God forgave them and restored his covenant relationship with them, they are still corrupted by their actions. And Moses is then unable to enter into God's presence in the tabernacle. Leviticus is all about how the Israelites are to clean themselves of their corruption and become holy so they can re-enter God's presence. In light of this, I want to propose a secondary structure to the book. So we have Leviticus 1 to 10 affirming their relationship with God, Leviticus 11 to 17 getting clean, Leviticus 18 to 25 how to live and stay clean, and then Leviticus 27. So in Leviticus 1 to 10, we have the Israelites affirming their relationship with God. With Leviticus 11 to 17, we have them getting clean. With Leviticus 18 to 25, is how to live in a way that keeps them clean. And then finally, Leviticus 26 to 27, the call to this new way of being. So let's jump in with Leviticus 1 to 4. Leviticus is one of my favourite books, and I appreciate this is a bold claim. But I believe there is a depth to these rituals and offerings that we often miss in our modern society. The book opens with a series of offerings, each serving a different purpose, but together they affirm one thing, relationship with God. The Israelites are affirming in all their flaws and failures that they still want to be in relationship with God. A very oversimplified analogy might be bringing someone flowers or chocolate. Sometimes we do this to say sorry, other times we do it to show the person they're valued. But either way, it is to affirm the relationship you have with that person. That is the intention with these offerings from the Israelites. They are continuing to pursue their relationship with God. The first is the burnt offering. This is where a person would bring an animal, a bull, a sheep, a goat, a dove or a pigeon. And after killing it, burn the whole body on the altar, leaving nothing left over. This offering had nothing to do with sin, but was the first step in someone coming before God. The person would bring their animal to recognise their need for God. And as the animal was burnt on the fire and as smoke rose up, that would be the symbol for them that God was there. Remember, 
God came to them in a pillar of fire and smoke. So this offering exists to show the willingness of someone coming before God and then God's presence there with them. The second is the grain offering. This one is a little different. Some of the grain brought forward would be burnt on the altar, but then the rest of it would be for the priest to eat. The purpose of this offering was that it was like a shared meal. Before the person who has come to do business with God begins, he would share a meal with God. The priest would eat their bit of grain and, and God enjoyed his bit through the aroma of what was burnt on the altar. We made a note of this theme of sharing a meal with God back in Exodus 24, where the elders of Israel ate with God as they agreed to the covenant. The third offering is the peace offering. This wasn't an offering for peace, but an offering to celebrate the peace they already had. It involved the same animals as the burnt offering, but only burnt some of the body. The rest is used like the grain offering to be eaten by the priests, and this time, the person who brought the offering. Again, the people share a meal with God. These two meals are to reinforce the relationship that the people had with God. We do a similar thing today in churches through communion. We take communion together, yes, to remember what Jesus has done, but also to remind us of the relationship we now have with him and with one another. While only the priest got to enjoy the grain offering, there are no limits to which bits we get to enjoy in communion. As Christians, we are all priests in God's eyes. With the fourth offering, we get the first offering that actually has anything to do with sin. The first two sin offerings mention dealing with the sin of the priests and the entire nation. In these cases, the blood of the sacrifice is taken into the tabernacle to re-purify it. Sin on these levels threaten the very purity of God's dwelling place. The second two deal with the sins of individual leaders within the community and then your everyday person. In these cases, the blood was left outside the tabernacle and just used to purify the altar. These offerings are all about cleaning the contamination of sin so that people are free to come near and be in God's presence. I mention this in part here as we'll pick this up in greater detail later in the book. These offerings, however, are only for unintentional sins. There are no offerings for intentional decisions we make to sin. In those cases, Leviticus suggests that the person be cast out of the community or killed. This is why Jesus' death and resurrection is so much better than the sacrifices found here in Leviticus. He deals with all sins, intentional or unintentional. And let's jump in with Psalm 30. This psalm is attributed to King David and falls into the category of praise psalm, specifically a thanksgiving psalm. The psalmist, potentially David, is thanking and praising God for saving them from sickness or from near death. And so here's an outline of the structure. We have verses 1 to 3, a testimony of praise. Verses 4 to 5, an encouragement for others to praise. And then verses 6 to 12, the psalmist's own personal experience. The psalm opens with this purpose. The psalmist praises God because the Lord has heard their cries and healed them, saving them from death. Turning to those around them, they encourage others to praise God. He speaks to the saints, the faithful ones, telling them to give thanks. The reason they can give thanks? While God's anger may be present and there may be weeping now, this will soon be replaced with God's favour and joy. And Samus begins to share his own experience. He had made a commitment to stand with God and then it seemed like God had hidden his face. So the psalmist continues to hold on to God, crying out to him for help. And he does. God turned to the psalmist mourning into dancing, his clothes of grief into clothes of joy. 
Because of this, the psalmist will never cease to praise God and share of his goodness. This psalm is a reminder to us to share the good that God has done for us. We have to be honest and real about the difficult times, but then celebrate with others when God proves himself to be faithful.